0: Hi everyone, welcome to Herbert Smith Freehills podcast series on digital transformation. In part two of the podcast, we are here to discuss the digital transformation in Singapore. This is part of the Herbert Smith Freehills multi-jurisdictional discussion on what various jurisdictions are doing in relation to their respective digital transformation journeys. To introduce myself, I am Kenneth Lowe, And I am a lawyer in the financial services regulatory practice in Herbert Smith Freehills. So areas such as fintech, digital law, financial services regulatory, all those areas I do cover and advise. I am also based in Singapore. Today, I am delighted and very happy to be joined by my close friend and colleague, who is likewise based in Singapore, Harry Evans. Harry, over to you.
1: Thank you, Kenneth, and hello, everyone. It's very nice to have you with us today. As Kenneth said, my name is Harry Evans, and I'm a senior associate based here in Singapore in our technology group. I spend a large part of my time advising clients on the procurement of new digital technologies and how to manage the risks associated with the use of such technologies from both the commercial and regulatory perspective. And I really look forward to talking to you today about some of the issues that um, You may encounter with digital transformation and some of the developments which are taking place here in singapore back to you kenneth
0: thanks harry so now for part two of the podcast proper we'll be looking at the jurisdiction of singapore as said earlier in particular what shape has digitalization taken in singapore so far this would be in relation to the public sector We'll also be examining in greater detail and addressing where the take-up or impact of digitalization has been particularly positive. So to start things off, Harry, it is safe to say that Singapore is at the forefront of driving digital transformation in the public sectors. But let's actually dive a bit deeper into this. And I think the best way to examine this this whole issue is to actually examine the government agency that was specially created to drive Singapore's digital transformation. It's known as the Government Technology Agency of Singapore, otherwise known as GovTech for short, in short. It is the lead agency driving Singapore's smart nation initiative and public sector digital transformation. Now GovTech was actually formally established pretty recently, 1st October 2016, as a statutory board under the Ministry of Communications and Information. The role of GovTech is to drive digital transformation of Singapore's public sector. And GovTech works with different government agencies to develop and deliver secure digital services and applied to technology to individuals and businesses in Singapore. And to achieve this, GovTech has actually five subdivisions, and we'll get into that in in further detail shortly. Oh, these five subdivisions is what is termed also by GovTech as capability centers. And, and we'll elaborate further on their respective achievements and analyze their contributions to Singapore's digitalization trajectory. So, first up in terms of this capability center is the Application Design, Development and Deployment Center, or otherwise known in GovTech as ADDND Center. Now, this centre delivers citizen-centric solutions and creates the, i can going quote, design and software engineering foundation within the public service. It is the centre that produces the application, or apps as we know, that are used by Singaporeans. Now, this add and centre's achievements includes, firstly, helping Singapore curb the spread of COVID-19 with the development of the Trace Together mobile app which allows for easy contact tracing. We will, however, elaborate more on this in the later part of our podcast, part three of our podcast, with regard to some of the controversy that this created, but more on this later. Now, the second achievement that ADD and D Centre can count towards its name is that of preventing fraud in education credentials by enabling educational institutions to issue digital certificates via an app developed by the ADD and D Centre called OpenCerts. Now this OpenCerts, and I don't think many Singaporeans and people based in Singapore are actually aware of it, but it's really useful. It's an app which automatically loads a person's certifications, so qualifications, onto a personalized Singaporean skill passport. So this allows each certificate to be verified without the need for certified true copies. So just imagine when applying for a job, everything is just all on the app, everything has been loaded. It's just that much easier instead of having to lug around certs and and going to get it notarized or getting it certified as true copies. So that's the first subdivision of the GovTech. Now the second subdivision is the cybersecurity group. Now, this is the center that safeguards the Singapore government's smart systems, which, among other things, conducts both blue teaming threat detection and incident response and red teaming exercises to test and protect government digital systems. So that's all cybersecurity and aptly known as the cybersecurity group within GovTech. In relation to the third subdivision of GovTech, understand, Harry, you'd like to elaborate a bit more on this because this particular subdivision has impacted you.
1: Uh, yeah, thanks, uh, Kenneth. So the third subdivision is the Data Science and Artificial Intelligence Centre, also known as DSO, which has developed technology that has made my life easier. So this subdivision uses data science and artificial intelligence to enable GovTech and the whole of government to formulate policies and deliver citizen-centric services. One of their um, crowning achievements is the development of the Vigilant Gantry System, which is a fully automated contactless gantry system for temperature screening. It augments existing thermal scanners to improve the rate of contactless scanning, ease bottlenecks in long queues outside buildings, and reduce manpower required for temperature screening measures. Um, all obviously highly relevant in the wake of the COVID pandemic. So the reason why I say it's made my life easier is because um, I think back to the inconvenience of long queues outside, um, say, shopping malls, uh, office buildings and um, transit hubs like Changi Airport um, and others. And um, this new system has allowed um, sort of much faster track entry and exit to these sorts of facilities. The fourth um, GovTech subdivision that I wanted to talk about is the Government Information Communications Technology Infrastructure Centre, or GICTI, which develops the centralised information communications technology infrastructure for the whole of government. The CI, sorry, the GICTI develops government cloud and cloud-like facilities to enable security for government agencies' applications and services, and its achievements include having ramped up VPN capacity um, and in developing the next round of government networks. It's also delivered secure internet surfing for public offices, so that they can access the internet for work needs, um, which overcomes previous internet surfing separation and restrictions, which impacted um, public offices previously. The fifth and final GovTech subdivision is the Sensors and Internet of Things Centre, which builds whole of government, internet of things, infrastructure, which among other things, Allows connectivity of smart objects, which includes static and mobile ones, while the SIOT also manages and builds cloud infrastructure for the whole of government.
0: Thanks, Harry. You know, you mentioned about the whole internet surfing separation for public offices, uh, the work that GICTI does to help uh, overcome this. I can tell you from first hand experience, given that I was from the Monetary Authority of Singapore and I myself was a lawyer for. For, for the government, that was really a pain, the whole internet surfing separation. So yeah, it's it's really great that that GovTech and particular GICTI is doing things to help public officers overcome this internet surfing separation. So yeah, great, great developments there. And in in uh, more broadly, there's truly a lot of subdivisions that GovTech does have. Uh, and it does show that, that all these different types and various work streams that Singapore is indeed pushing strongly um, in digital transformation. So to learn more about it, and also in line with the whole Singapore government's push towards speeding up digitalization in the public sector, it's all all about figures, right? Let's just look at the figures. And what is interesting is that the GovTech announced in June, 2021, that about Singapore, $3.8 billion will be spent by the government on info communications technology. Contracts, ICT contracts, just this year alone. Now, this includes the development of a previously announced artificial intelligence powered marking system for schoolwork, AI powered for schoolwork. Imagine that, Harry. <laughs> and uh, improvements to the Live SG app. This app, this Live SG app in Singapore, basically allows Singaporean user, pardon me, Singapore users, convenient access to government services. So this app is getting a new dashboard, uh, which will display, for example, upcoming appointments that users have with public agencies. So all this to make it so much more convenient for Singapore users. Now this whole amount of 3.8 Singapore dollars, 3.8 billion Singapore dollars represents an almost 10% increase from 3.5 billion for the previous financial year that ended on march 31st 2021 now some 500 million will be earmarked for speeding up the use of ai in the public sector and the gov also stated that ai can help the government deliver better services make better decisions based on data and improve productivity, and also improve productivity so this encompasses the singapore ministry of education's development of an ai as i mentioned automated marking system which is basically a marking system that's being designed to assess open, access open-ended responses, such as those for short answer questions and essays. This AI system will focus on language errors such as grammar, spelling and syntax, while the human teacher, the non-AI, the human teacher marks for ideas, structure and content. This whole aim is to provide all upper primary and secondary students with quick and personalised feedback on their English assignments. Analytics from the system will help students monitor their own learning and let teachers better guide students in their learning.
1: That's a lot of money, uh, Kenneth, to be pumped into the education sector in order to digitally transform it. Another thing that I was going to add is that another 2.7 billion will be used on up to 250 projects for transforming, integrating, and streamlining digital services across other sectors. Of these, 44% of the services will be developed on the cloud to speed up the delivery of services for citizens and businesses. The government intends to have 70% of eligible systems online by 31 March 2024. So um, a bit less than three years away from now. Uh, the move to ramp up digital services and infrastructure comes as satisfaction with government's digital services among Singaporeans remains high. Um, according to the GovTech's Government to Citizens survey, 85% of citizens are very or extremely satisfied with these services um, Which is similar to 2019's result of 86%. So, all that has been said has been in relation to GovTech. Let's examine what the Singapore authorities have been doing. Kenneth, uh, you were previously an assistant director and lawyer for the financial services regulator in Singapore, um, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Could you share with us what the financial regulator in Singapore has been doing? In particular, I'd be interested to know if there have been any regulatory pushes towards digitalisation in Singapore.
0: Sure happy. Pardon me, sure, Harry. Very happy to do that. Uh, to support the emergence of fresh ways to deliver finance, Singapore's financial regulator, the, as you mentioned, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, actually embraces forward-thinking regulations. So he draws up rules that would breed new fintech services ahead of time. So it's a lot of forward-thinking by MES. One example actually is MAS's introduction of the FinTech Regulatory Sandbox, which actually allows financial institutions and new FinTech players to test innovative FinTech solutions or services within a well-demarcated space and set duration. In this regard, giving licenses only to companies with past credentials can actually slow innovation because established firms have to think about legacy infrastructure and business processes But instead, under this MAS sandbox, MAS is actually able to relax specific legal and regulatory requirements which the fintech player would have otherwise been subjected to. So this allows MAS to issue licenses to young companies that show that they can turn an idea into an operation that runs smoothly and safely. Another example of progressive regulation through the use of digitalization is that of the usage of MyInfo? I think Harry, you know, you're based in Singapore. You are you you'll be familiar with MyInfo. MyInfo is is but for, to the listeners who may not be, it's actually a digital personal data platform which helps citizens fill in digital forms automatically instead of doing so repeatedly for every transaction. So Singapore passed regulations to allow this national digital identity platform, MyInfo to be used by companies to onboard new users and perform Know Your Customer, KYC, KYC checks. This actually lowers costs and helps startups to scale. But if we are interested to know a bit more of specific legislation, well, on twenty eight January, 2020, MES introduced the Payment Services Act 2019, known by the industry, the financial industry as the PS Act. Now the PS Act is a single activity-based risk-specific legislation for payment related services, which includes digital payment token services. The PS Act consolidates existing payment regulatory frameworks and introduces new types of licensable payment services. This streamlines the previous legislative regime for payment services and makes it easier for payment service providers to navigate the regulatory landscape. All these contributes to greater payment solutions and increased digitalization. So this whole emphasis on increased digitalization and payment solutions, Harry, I know you'd work a lot with technology companies and payment service providers. You help them draft their different agreements and processes. So in relation to digitalization, could you give us some practical examples of Singapore companies engaging in such digitalization projects?
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Kenneth, happy to do that. So I think... um, the first sort of trend that we're seeing is a move away from cash-based transactions towards um, digital-based transactions or e-payments, which can sort of be described as payments that are made um, online or via, um, say, mobile phone apps or even credit cards that don't involve cash. And essentially, um, these sorts of transactions are becoming far more prevalent in this part of the world as, um, you know, there's an increasingly high uptake of sort of the internet, increasingly high uptake of of mobile phones, and people increasingly um, engaging in e-commerce type transactions. Um, so that's one of the major trends that we're seeing. Um, and as people move into, I guess, what we would call the sort of digital economy Um, A large number of of companies are are also following that trend and and looking to gear up their their digital infrastructure and digital products and services. I think there are some other sort of um, examples. So um, as a result of the COVID pandemic, we're seeing a lot of companies embrace um, sort of more business-as-usual methods of doing business. Um, Obvious examples that I think everyone is familiar with are things like video conferencing, which um, probably wasn't that big a thing even two years ago. I remember um, after COVID hit, I hadn't really heard terms like Teams meetings or Zoom calls and the like, but now um, they're almost ubiquitous, and I can't see that changing. Um, And as a lawyer, we're also seeing sort of other new digital technologies being used such as um, the use of electronic signatures for the signing of documents. Um, They may be the the sort of less interesting part of digitalisation. There are um, other examples which are perhaps far more um, novel or interesting. So, for example, the Singapore martial arts uh, promotion company One Championship um, has been forced to... Um, sort of upgrade its own um, products and services in the wake of the pandemic, which has left it unable to ho- hold large-scale and live events. So to, to address this issue, they um, have invested in uh, live streaming fights to fans um, wherever they may be located around the world. Um They have also looked at ways to enhance the digital experience of fans who are not actually at the live events by offering data-driven insights to viewers through the live stream shows. So, for example, um, they can provide significant amounts of information and statistics on the screens of viewers um, in real time to, I guess, bring out certain aspects of an event or a fight or a a sport, which might not ordinarily be available to someone watching it live within the stadium. Um, They're also, um, as far as I'm aware, exploring the possibility of using other digital technologies such as um, holographic computing uh, to help both athletes and viewers Um, immerse themselves within an event and a sport from the perspective of, say, training um, in the context of athletes or um, uh, watching it in the context of viewers. So these are just some of the benefits of digitalisation for one championship and also more broadly some of the things that we're seeing in the market, um, which interestingly have been driven by covid but which really um are part of a sort of ongoing digital transformation which started before COVID and is looks set to continue beyond COVID.
0: Wow. Um that all does sound very exciting, Harry. I mean, it's just couldn't couldn't even imagine that that one championship, this mixed martial arts company, is using digitalization. And it does show that digitalization does stretch to basically any company, right? It's not just your plain vanilla type but just any company can benefit from digitalization and um, in regard to that whole mixed martial arts thing Harry uh, we I think the firm and myself in particular will really look forward to seeing you in the ring shelving out some of your mixed martial art moves uh, while it's being live streamed yeah so with that in mind (laughs) uh, just to share on also what other companies are doing in the financial services regulatory space Um, Other examples of Singapore companies engaging in digitalization projects actually will include the consortium made up of Singapore companies, Grab and Singtel, which would be launching digital full banks in Singapore. The other Singapore company, C Limited, would also be doing the same. Now this comes as Singapore aims to liberalize the financial industry. Like traditional banks, these companies, digital full banks, will provide retail customers with services such as opening accounts, deposits, as well as issuing debit and credit cards. However, digital banks will not have a physical presence and all banking services will be done online. This is different from the traditional banks that we're used to, such as the DBS, the OCBCs. Now these banks uh, offer some banking services via the internet or mobile apps. Just to be clear, the digital full banks mentioned earlier can also serve corporate customers and they are expected to start business from early 2022. So that would be very, very soon. Now, with all that in mind, we conclude our part two of this podcast series on digital transformation in Singapore. To our audience listening in, if you want to embark or expedite on your digital journey and your company's digital journey, please do reach out to us and we will be happy to have a discussion. Do also look out for part three of this podcast series on digital transformation in Singapore, where we would be discussing the digitalization challenges in Singapore and how companies have found solutions to such challenges. We look forward to you joining us in part three of the podcast series. But for now, thank you for listening in and goodbye.